My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. My par saving pals, this edition of Fairway Rollin' brought to you as always by our pals at Callaway Golf. Hey, if you want to see this championship version of the Royal Portrush Golf Club in actual championship conditions. You want to just get your head around it in a kind of a preview mode before you sit down and start watching the real professionals get out there. You have to see New York Giants wide receiver Golden Tate. He traveled to Northern Ireland a few weeks ago, uh, and, and they shot him playing this golf course. Um, tee to green. You can see all, all, a whole bunch of shots. You're going to see the twists and turns that Royal Portrush uh, has to deliver. They captured the whole thing in this collaboration between the Players' Tribune and Callaway Media Productions. It's called A Journey North. You get to see Port uh, Rush. It's lush. It's green. It's windy. Everybody's in sweaters. It'll put you right into the Open Championship mood right now. It is available, this video, at CallawayGolf.com. Check out Gold Tate on the grounds at Royal Port Rush. My friends, this episode of Fairway Roll and also brought to you by Destination Kohler in Kohler, Wisconsin. The home of Whistling Straits, Black Wolf Run, and the upcoming 2020 Ryder Cup. Golf Digest ranked all four Kohler courses in the top 100 of America's public courses, including Meadow Valleys, the home of number 14 Nature's Course, that's the hole, arguably the most breathtaking hole at the entire resort. Gather your birdie buddies for the ultimate tournament-style summer golf experience. Get yourself rolling to DestinationKohler.com to book your package today. That's DestinationKohler.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, oh my friends, this is it. This is the one. 
It's a bittersweet moment. You're here. You've arrived. The final major of the season is upon us. You are fairway rolling here on the Golf Podcast by the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your starter, Joe House. How about this Wednesday tradition we have rolling here on Fairway Rolling? You know we have Justin Ray from the 15th Club, head of content there. We're mapping out all the angles. We're mapping out what attributes we need out of a potential winner. And we're giving out some great names to pay attention to. We're trying to help you in your fantasy, your DFS, and your pocketbook. And it wouldn't be a major week without Verno. Chris Vernon is on to help us with Epic Flash Pick of the Week. He and I have some head-to-head, some matchups that we're very keen on breaking down. You're going to enjoy that. The first tee looks open. Let's jump over there. Me and Justin Ray are going to go ahead and tee off right now. Now on the tee from USA, Justin Ray. <laughs> Yo, JR. How you doing, House? How we, are we ready for the Open Championship? Man, this is spectacular. What a, what a time to be convened. I said on Monday's preview show, the homie uh, Kyle Porter from, from CBS Sports uh, made the observation that he thinks that this is the correct order. And as the week is sort of going along and I'm thinking about it, I, I really love this place that the, the uh, we're going to call it the British Open. I mean, I know it's Open Championship and, you know, we can we can have all the nerds yell at us, but I just want to call it the British Open for the purposes of the of the pod but i just love it's fine. ending it the, the, the purpose the, of brevity clearness that's it that's right we're we're nothing if not brief on the podcast that that's the <laughs> yeah, the opposite is true obviously uh, but i just love where it falls in the sequence of majors it just feels right to be capping off the major run with um this tournament in this place at this particular time with the talent pool that we have, each of the times we've been we we've convened and we were very appreciative of you joining us for each of the four majors this season. But every time we get together, we say, "Can you believe how great the talent pool is? How deep it is? How uh, lucky we are to have ten or fifteen or twenty guys can, that can win this?" And the same is absolutely true once again with this British Open. You do you agree? Yeah, I agree completely. And to your point about the order being correct, you know, I felt at the PGA Championship, it made the PGA feel bigger, too. You know, sometimes, some years, depending on what the storylines are and, you know, who's who's playing well, where the PGA might be, it almost kind of felt like a little bit of an afterthought, which it didn't deserve. You know, it's a huge, awesome championship. And to have that position there between the Masters and the U.S. Open, I thought it made that feel bit, uh, bigger as well. And now, you in the major championship season, at the original major, you know, you're the home of golf or whatever you want to call it. It does feel right. I think I'd agree with Kyle hundred percent. This feels like the, the right order for the major championships to be in. And to your point about that, I mean, the storyline, you know, just like they were fantastic at the masters and at the next two major championships, you know, we're right there too with, you know, Brooks Kepka continuing his reign of terror over major championship golf. And, you know, Dustin Johnson trying to erase the, uh, demons of major championship failures in the past, Rory McIlroy going and what's going to be, you know, people are, I'm not obviously not from there, but men who have much more, uh, you know, 
valid opinions about this than me on the matter say it's the biggest sporting event in the history of Northern Ireland and it's not close. So to think that Rory McIlroy, the favorite son, is going to go try to win the Open in a place that's starved for this kind of event, that's huge. Of course, you've got Tiger Woods. He won the Masters earlier this year. Hasn't played since Pebble Beach. Does he still have it in him to compete at an Open Championship? Held the lead on Sunday in the final round last year. I could keep going. I'd be talking for the next 15 minutes, though. So, I mean, there's just so many great storylines going to the Open. I can't wait for them to put pegs in the ground on Thursday and get this thing going. I feel the same way. I can barely contain myself. You're mentioning all these names. I just want to do every single name right now. But look, we are grown. We're we're grown ass men, Justin Ray. So we're going to do it. We're going to be deliberate. We want to provide for all of our listeners an orderly path to help them uh, have success in their fantasy endeavors and 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 let's be honest. More importantly, in their cash endeavors. So let's try and and be sober about this. We're going to try and 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 I'm going to keep the zipper zipped up for at least another l- little while here, <laughs> and just try and walk through this. Where we are at a venue that is unfamiliar, and it's unfamiliar not just to uh, the golf consuming public, to those of us that are fans of the game and live in the game. But it's also unfamiliar to the players that are going to be competing at this year's 140th Open Championship. Um, and, and you know, it, there really isn't much that can be drawn from the most recent competition there, which uh, uh, the most recent professional competition there, the 2012 Irish Open, because a couple holes have changed. And they, they did kind of an 18-month a uh, renovation that included greens and some number of greens, five greens, some number of tee boxes, eight tee boxes, and right. you know the little bit of yardage changing as well. So for all intents and purposes, it's kind of a new, unfamiliar venue for an analytics guy like you and the fifteenth club. How do you cr- create your uh, list of of metrics that are going to matter? as you try and, and assess uh, the fortunes of, of the competitors this week? Right. Well, so we obviously don't have a ton of specifics on Port Rush itself, how, how it's laid out this week, player past history on this course. But I think there are enough similarities when you take player performance and course statistics from Lynx-style courses like Royal Port Rush over the last 10 years or so. And you can take that information, you can glean some meaningful conclusions from it. So, like, we can take the results of players who have overperformed or underperformed in link style golf and compare it to their performance baseline week to week in events that are different from link style. I think it can give you some pretty telling information. So, like, per se, over the last decade, the three best players in terms of strokes gained in links golf are Adam Scott, Henrik Stenson, and Sergio Garcia. And if you just hear those three names, you can think, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Adam Scott should have won an Open in 2012, it was. Henrik Stenson won that Open Championship, that duel with Phil Mickelson. Sergio has 10 top 10s in the Open. He's never won, but he's come close a number of times. You could see, you know, that kind of fits the mold. Those are the three guys who, over the last 10 years or so, are the most consistent, best performance on link-style golf courses. And so we don't have the exact, you know, we don't have a lot of info, like you said, the only meaningful professional competition that's been held on this golf course was seven years ago, and they've removed holes and added new holes since then. So you can't take that, you know, and take a lot of really meaningful data out of that. But if you take some courses that are very similar, whether it's the Irish Open, the Scottish Open, the British Masters on a, partic- a couple of particular layouts, 
we're able to glean some things from that too. And then we've also got uh, members of our, our 15 club team on the ground at Royal Port Rush, you know, working with our players that we have and, and talking to, you know, the caddies and, and picking up any, anything extra we can, we can garner along the way. So it's kind of a roundabout way to try to get the best information possible. It's not like we, if this isn't Augusta national, we don't get to go there every year. It's not these years and years and rounds and rounds of data to pull from, but we do have a good idea of who we think can succeed and what the course is going to be like when it comes to this week. So let's get specific. There are a couple of metrics. Uh, I know having the good uh, fortune of being a subscriber to the 15th club newsletter. The one that came out Tuesday morning was very rich with information uh, and data that will help us kind of narrow uh, our our uh, approach to this, help us tailor our uh, betting card or our fantasy lineups. Um, one of the things, that, you know, one metric that seems to be very important is bogey avoidance. Um, wh- where do you have that in, in your uh, list of, of sort of prioritized uh, metrics for success? It's high up there. You know, typically in Lynx Golf, uh, the players who contend in these championships it's not making a zillion birdies that is the determining factor. It's avoiding the big mistakes. So um, whether that's, you know, not missing as much off the tee, because we think that, if it, you know, uh, our data tells us that compared to other venues on the European and PGA tours, Port Rush is going to be more penalizing for players who miss off the tee um, in the rough uh, than, you know, normally week to week. So um, that's another number we're looking at too, but, yeah, bogey avoidance is really high on there. And, you know, usually in Lynx golf, it's not making just, you know, tons and tons of birdies. It's avoiding the big number. It's managing the golf course. It's knowing when to go for it, when to lay back. Um, and, of course, you know, the underlying factor that always is always there when it comes to the Open Championship and Lynx style golf is the weather going to kick up or we going to have a lot of wind. Um, that's going to be a deciding factor, too. And how players can manage that. Players with lower ball flights tend to have more success on links courses, um, guys who had flatter shots. If you think like Matt Kuchar, who's had success here the last few years at the open. So, um, bogey avoidance, definitely high up there, uh, as well as, you know, trying to keep it straight off the tee because those fairway bunkers are extremely penalizing. It's not just the, you know, the pot bunkers aren't just a visual thing when it comes to the open. It's a strategic flashpoint for guys to stay out of those because you can, if you get a bad lie in those, it could cost you a shot, maybe even two. Yeah, and and on the the bogey avoidance uh, point, one of the things I was surprised by in the research for our chat today, I didn't remember this. Um, uh, Frankie Molinari last year bogey free over the weekend, no bogey Saturday or yeah. Sunday, and 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 took down the title really because of that uh, ability to to avoid you know anything that's going to uh, impair his pursuit of, of par. Another. Uh, a trait that seems to be pretty important is is the scrambling category. Uh, where do you guys have that one? That's probably the highest specific um, player performance that you have. I mean, guys are going to miss greens. You know, Tiger talked today about how um, these greens at Royal Port Rush tend to repel uh, approach shots, kind of like you might see it like Pinehurst, as opposed to you might something you might see it like you know, a Carnoustie or St. Andrews where shots can kind of roll in and funnel towards the green, you might see approach shots here kind of repel off the green a little bit. So you're going to have to be, you know, on point with your chip shots. You're going to see a lot of guys hitting some non-conventional wedge shots, the things we'd love to see at the Open Championship. 
um, guys pulling out three and four irons and trying to hit little bump and run shots. Um, it's not going to be your big week to week on the PGA tour, you know, fill flop shots that are going to be, um, really important this week. Um, scrambling, especially in the non-conventional form, um, with those, uh, less lofted clubs around the greens is going to prove to be pretty important. So guys are going to miss greens this week. Balls are going to run off. You've got to be able to chip it close, get your par and get to the next tee box. You, you mentioned the accuracy off the tee metric as having kind of a heightened importance compared to previous open championships. In fact, last year at Carnoustie, the, because of the dry conditions, the rough there uh, and the fescue was, it was sort of best described as, as wispy and, and you could miss and still ad- advance the ball. Um, the observation you made, and it's been, uh, you know, seconded and, and thirded by, by the, the players there, um, you know, and you can see it from, from the early uh, uh, pictures that we're seeing of the golf course, you know, from live from and so forth, the footage so far, it's lush. It's green and the rough yeah. looks like it, it gets up there pretty close. Now, when you think about um, the, the accuracy off the tee, is there one of the handful of, of accuracy measures that's more important than the others? Is it fairways hit and regulation? Is it, um, you know, percentage of fairways hit? Like what, what's important? Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go about it is just fairway percentage, which seems like a, it's a pretty basic number to look at, but it does give you an indication of not just you know, obviously how accurate a guy is off the tee, but in link style golf, you know, the course plays shorter than traditionally they might on like a regular PGA tour event where you know, you've got to carry it longer distances. You know, links courses are set up to where a guy like Henrik Stenson, who pulls three wood 60, 65% of the time, instead of driver off the tee, you know, he's not penalized for losing those 20, 25, 30 yards. He gets a little bit of run out and the courses, you know, the holes are a little bit shorter. He's got a comparable, for uh, approaching to a four, par four or par five, um, as guys who pull driver and, and rip it and have a you know huge ball flight. So um, yeah, I think it, it seems like a pretty basic metric to look at. But um, you know, I would stick to guys who are you know probably in the upper forty percent, upper thirty five percent of driving accuracy on their respective tour this season. Okay, I, I like it because there there's one guy um, that I'm really bullish on. Uh, and, and and we're gonna we're, we'll get to you know we'll get to the comparing of notes, but there's one guy who I love because of his bogey avoidance and his scrambling numbers this year. He, they're they're incredible, but his accuracy off the tee is the one thing that has me tapping the brakes. And and since we're since I, I I'm we might as well just go ahead and talk about him. We're, we're going to cover Rory. We're going to cover Tiger. Don't worry. We'll cover <laughs> we'll cover DJ. We got Brooks lined up everybody but i'm i'm really uh um just in the last like 24 hours seeing all of these numbers and data that have me absolutely falling in love with patrick cantlay um and, and the and the only thing that has me tapping the brakes on him is that accuracy off the t measure he he leads the tour right now in bogey avoidance he's first in scrambling he's 10th in strokes gained off the t He's 12th in yeah. approach, uh, and, and his strong suit, you know, sort of coming on tour was supposed to be putting. He's 25th in putting. He also, I, I love, you know, the, the, you were on with, with Pat Mayo, uh, over the weekend, 
on on the PME experience and um, a uh, a trend that you guys talked about that I do think is really important to this uh, Open Championship and trying to come up with a handful of guys that can win is the trend line of you know guys having one within fairly recent measure here you know fairly yeah. recent sort of timeline some some number of like five out of the past six winners of the open championship have a win in one of their handful of starts coming into this event. Cantley fits that metric. He won the the Memorial. Mm-hmm. That was his third start, you know, some time ago. And you also, I loved your stat. And this is the thing that they were going to have to like kind of noodle through um, that showed up in the newsletter today. The last time a, a player took off, between the U.S. Open and the British Open and arrived at the British Open and won the British Open, well, I'll just let you 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 share the stat. It's your stat. It's in, it's, it's in your newsletter. Yeah, Johnny Miller, 1976. And when I was looking into that, I figured it had to have happened for maybe like Tiger once or there had to be some instance of maybe like Greg Norman, somebody who took time off between the two majors and then won. It has not happened since Johnny Miller more than 40 years ago. So if we think that that's really important, then we're going to cross off some guys, some pretty important guys, some guys that we think, you know, otherwise we would have a chance to win. Can, can this be sort of the, the gating metric? We don't have to worry about that with Patrick Cantlay because they went and played at the travelers and he had a tie for 15th at the Travelers. So we, we, we understand how important form is, but let's do, let's quickly go down that sub tangent of, you know, how, how important it seems to be to play competitive golf between the U S open and, and the British open, have a shot at winning the British open three guys that, that unfortunately fall on the wrong side of that metric. Uh, Xander Shoffley, who's been, uh, Ooh, I really uh, like, who I really like a lot. <laughs> Boy, can, I mean, can can he break the trend? I mean, I, you know, there's there's got to be at some point some regression. It hasn't happened in forever, but I will say that this is a much, obviously the schedule is completely different this year. Now, I know between the U.S. Open and the Open, it's not different, but the months leading up to that, it's a little more condensed. So you probably, probably see a few more of this than normal. And the Tiger is a total aberration because of the nature of his career and his back and, you know, all that. But, I mean, look, it, it hasn't happened that long for a reason. And a lot of yeah. the guys who have won in recent years played the week before. I think it's something like eight of the last nine Open champions played the week before. Most of them played in the Scottish Open the week before. So they were used, they're acclimated and you know used to the time switch or whatever, or they you know, are normally European players anyway. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, you can't take off for a month and just show up at the Open and win, can you? I mean... That's kind of what the that fact sells you, but you know, man, I like Xander a lot. <laughs> I like him a lot this week. But it's funny of the three guys that you would otherwise think would really have a great chance of winning this. Um, I like Xander sort of the most, but the other guys you have to cross off if you subscribe to that um, that that data point are Adam Scott, who has, as you just mentioned, an incredible performance. Uh, over the years at Lynx Golf and in the Open Championship, and Tiger Woods, and you got to just say, yeah. well, you know, there, it hasn't happened in forty years. This is this isn't going to be the year where the guys break the trend. So Adam Scott, Tiger Woods, and Xander Shoffley off the list. It's it it, it hurts to, to to do it. It hurts my heart, Justin Ray. 
It does, especially if you look at Adam Scott, his last three starts, eighth at the PGA, second at Memorial, seventh at Pebble Beach. I mean, and the way he's played in Lynx golf, the way that experience has paid off in the Open Championship the last few years, um, the average age of winners at the Open since 2011 is about 36 years old, which is five years more than any other of the majors in that span. Um, experience has always paid off. Adam Scott kind of fits that mold too. You know, a guy who should have won the Open seven years ago, fell apart, I think he bogeyed the last four holes to lose to Ernie Els. I mean, yeah, but if, if we want to stick to the facts, and, and if we're married to that trend, you know, those are guys you got to whittle off when you get to the window. Well, this is what we'll do. Maybe maybe this is what we'll do for all our par-saving pals out there. Do Just go play them as a top five. You get plus odds for all three of those guys. I don't have the odds up Beautiful. right this second. But at least you'll get at least two to one as to top five Adam Scott. Um, maybe closer to three to one to top fives Shoffley and and you know Tiger's odds are always skewed because the betting public loves him uh, so much. Um, probably just a little bit better than two to one. Probably like two and a half to one would be my my guess for where he's coming in right now. Play those three as, as top five. It doesn't diminish their uh, uh, standing and their accomplishment if they don't outright win the thing. If all they do is top five, and you collect a little bit on a ticket that way. I will tell you this. Help me with with this. I want to do a quick aside on, on Adam Scott. He really looked like on the front nine at Pebble Beach, and honestly, all the way up through the 12th hole at Pebble Beach, to be a guy that wanted to go out and grab that golf tournament. And then he hit the ball somewhere uh, right of Russia on the 13th <laughs> hole in, in a place that I don't think, like, if I turned my whole body and lined up and, and tried to hit it there, I don't know if, if it's possible to hit it as far right as he hit it. And I can't get over that lasting image of, of him with the tournament really like he was making a move where it felt like he could put a little bit of pressure on uh, Gary Woodland. Uh, and, and then he just disappeared because he blasted one, you know, right, right of right. Help, yeah. help me get that bad taste out of my mouth with Adam Scott. It's so it is so jarring to see a swing that beautiful that Adam Scott has create something that hideous. Like it's just a <laughs> jarring visual. Uh, to see, so uh, true. The tempo is the tempo is perfect. Like it's everything that you would, you know, his swing is Tiger 2000. That's how he learned his golf swing. That's what it is. It's Tiger Woods in 2000, except it somehow has better tempo than Tiger had then. And then to see that result, man, but that's like, you know, one of the few bad shots he's hit over the last, you know, three, four months, and especially in major championships. He's been so good, you know, going back to Bell Reeve last year at the PGA when he was in the mix. Um, great point. Yeah, great point. No, I, great point. Yeah. He's, he's really kind of feels like he's, he's reaching a, a, it's a little bit of a career renaissance and, you know, a guy's had a, this good of a performance at the open the last several years. He's fourth in scoring average among all players at the open this decade. Um, nearly one, as I talked about, you know, several years ago, contended a number of times. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, he's tough not to like. I, as far as the U.S. Open, though, no one was beating Gary Woodland that week. No, if, no, if no. If Kepka no. wasn't going to beat him, nobody was going to beat Gary. So, um, no shame in a top 10 at Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open when uh, you, you get beat by a guy who's playing like that. Well, and how about this? I'm going to give us a pat on the back, even though Gary Woodland didn't come out of your mouth or my mouth <laughs> when we were talking <laughs> about the preview for the, the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. I'll be damned if he didn't lead the field in in the two categories that you identified as being the most important categories for success at Pebble. 
he there just wasn't anything in his form leading up to Pebble that made us think that that you know he he had that breakthrough kind of lurking. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he he, he right. led the field. In, he he led the field in in greens. Uh, and in strokes gained approach, and he was second in in percentage behind Brooks. So you know he's like seventy two percent, which was the Tiger Woods uh, uh, level uh, greens in regulation um, over the course of of, of the, his two thousand dominant performance. So a, a terrific dominant performance out, out of Woodland. We got the measures right. We just couldn't get the guy, Justin. Yeah. Doesn't count when you go try to cash the ticket, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the book doesn't care. They they could care less. No, they don't. They're heartless. We we've talked a little bit uh about Tiger. Let's go ahead and just kind of dispense with him. And I don't mean dismiss him, but I think we can we can have a short conversation and and, and give our, our sentiments on him. I have to say I did not like at all. He gave a Tuesday uh afternoon press conference. And talked about his preparation not being all the way there yet. That he still was looking for a, a, a range session on Wednesday to feel like his preparation was is going to be complete. I, I don't like the sound of that, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I tend to look to going into when you know that a golf course is going to be penalizing off the tee. Um, that's not good news for Tiger. I mean, you know, essentially at Augusta National you can miss as far right, left as you want. And the rough is non-existent. It's not penalizing. Like besides being behind a tree, you know, missing the fairway doesn't matter. So it kind of makes sense that the two best performers at the masters, the last 15 years, 20 years are Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, two guys who have succeeded in spite of, you know, not being great in terms of accuracy off the tee. This is going to be the opposite. This is a place that is going to reward hitting the ball in the fairway. And, you know, I know Tiger is at his best when it's not penalizing. He's able to dial it back. He can do like he did at Carnoustie last year where he's hitting three and four irons off of every tee, um, you know, five irons. I saw he actually put a two iron in his bag, and I cannot remember the last time Tiger Woods had a two iron in there, but probably going to see a ton of stingers, which are always fun to watch, especially out we there love in an open championship. Love Man, it. love those. Um, Absolutely. So it's going to be fun to see, but. I'm kind of with you. I don't, you know, you don't like hearing him talk about that. Um, from like a, you know, just personal perspective, it's, it's great to hear him. Like, oh, I went to Thailand with my kids and it meant a lot. And you're like, yeah, okay. He's got his head screwed on. Right. And it seems like, you know, he's, he's, he's doing things like life-wise the right way, but you know, heartless cyborg competitor tiger wouldn't say any of that stuff going into a major championship. You know, he was a guy from yeah. 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So yeah, it is, it is a little bit strange. The other thing too, I'll say, Anyone with a bad back will tell you that cold weather is not going to help you in any way. Now, I think right. luckily for him, and you know that it's kind of this is anecdotal. Totally, I don't have any idea. If, you know, it's bothering him or not. I just know he's had a ton of back surgeries. And as someone with a bad back, when it's cold outside, everything takes longer and is tougher to do. And so, if we get some weather, we get some proper open wind and rain and some chilliness. I don't. I don't think that could possibly be a positive thing for a 43-year-old guy with four back surgeries. So just something else to keep in mind if the weather gets nasty that, you know, the guy the guy is mortal, the guy is human, and he's got a fused spine. So, you know, yeah. I don't know, maybe lower the bar of expectations for Tad if we see some nasty weather. Yeah, I mean, it's still okay. It doesn't – it's not a, a Tiger heresy 
to go ahead and just make a top top ten bet on him, just so you have a little something on him. I mean, we all want to see Tiger play on on Sunday. I want to pick Absolutely. up on your point. I mean, I like your point about him. You know, he's he's living his life. He's got other stuff going on. He's getting ready for the President's Cup and all the responsibilities that go along with that. He went to Thailand with with, with his family. It was surprising to me to see in the news reports that like the first time he ever played these golf holes at Royal Portrush was Sunday when he got out there and, 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 you know, for, for a practice round, um, that, that also really runs contrary to, to cyborg tiger. It was, we made fun of him a little bit on this podcast, him waking up, you know, they did that video with Nike where he was waking up at one in the morning and, and, uh, you know, just to get his body acclimated. Well, how about this? He looked terrible. His eyes were puffy. And if you're going to wake up at that time in the morning, why don't you just do it in Ireland, buddy? And then you could go play the golf course. Now, look, far be it from me to ever criticize Eldrick Tiger Woods, but you Those know, are all valid points. I mean, all just, valid just, points. Just making an observation. All right, that, that that that's enough on Tiger. We're rooting for him. I will say, I will say one more thing about him at a course he hasn't played before. The last Let's time he went to a major team, the last time he went to a major championship at a course that he had never played before in competition was at Del Reeve last year, and he finished second to Brooks Koepka. So, you know, I'll just throw that out there. It might not be as significant as we think. I'm more concerned about the rough being penalizing because that's something that has always been bothersome for Tiger um, throughout his career. Okay, well, maybe I'll just sprinkle a little on your top five bet, too. Top five, top ten, then you've got your juice on Tiger, and you can root for him that you wake up Sunday morning with your, your croissants and your and your coffee, and there and he's out there. That would be great for everybody. Um, there you go. Let, let, let's do the biggest story, the biggest storyline. Let's do this dude right now, and let's just call him player A, for the second, uh, I mean, for the moment, I'm going to steal some of your stats and I'll let you uh, fill in. This gentleman we're about to cover has four top five, top five finishes at the Open Championship in the past five years. His He has the best score in relation to par at the Open Championship over the past five years. He has the best scoring average at the Open Championship. He's second uh, in birdies and eagles per round, and he has the second most rounds in the 60s, even though he missed one of the Open Championships competed over the past five years because the homie had to play kickabout. Obviously, I'm talking about none other than Northern Ireland's native son, Rory McIlroy. Justin, how are we feeling about it, this guy? This guy also shot 61 on this golf course when he was 16. So, I mean... It- Look, if, if you took all the all the you know human side away and just looked at all the numbers, you would say, I mean, obviously this guy, he's won two huge events already this year, the Canadian Open and the Players. He's statistically crossed the board. He's been fantastic. He's played consistently great. He's been terrific at the Open over the last few years, including a win, finished second last year. This is just such an immense event in his home country. And I can't imagine, you know, the kind of pressure the guy has on him this week. It's totally unique, too, in terms of – I re- really recommend a column by a friend of mine, a great writer named Eamon Lynch, who's from Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah, we um, love Eamon Lynch. Absolutely. Eamon's terrific. And he wrote about some of the historic perspective. I really recommend it for people to get a background on things like – you know, I didn't know a whole lot about the troubles between Ireland and Northern Ireland. You know, it's not something I was immensely familiar with. But, you know, brushing up on it a little bit, 
this is a special week for Northern Ireland to be able to showcase their country and, and have this big of a sporting event and to have their, I mean, their guys, this is the biggest athlete. I, I mean, I might be missing someone from cricket or something, but this, this is Rory McIlroy. He's the biggest star from this country um, in sports. And it's a, it's such an immense week with so much on his shoulders. You wonder what kind of effect that's going to have on him. But look, he's, He's already a, he's a Ryder Cup legend, a major champ, four-time major champion, only thirty years old. He's obviously had enormous moments on the biggest stage in his stages in sports. This is probably his biggest stage that he's ever had, which is amazing to think for a guy who's you know he, he's one leg away from the career Grand Slam and has nearly won the Masters a few times. So um, it's it's such an immense story. I can't wait to watch and see what he does, um, especially those first two rounds. So my, my my question to you, and we're going to do a little psychobabble because there's no way of, of, of knowing this, but is it possible uh, to glean something from what we've observed in the Ryder Cups where he does seem to derive some energy from the crowds, both hostile crowds here in the U.S. and the, the obviously wildly supportive crowds uh, in, in Europe? Um that the energy of the people there who all will be rooting for him with every, every fiber in their being uh, for him to be successful. Do we think, and I mean, cause, cause the, the counter to this is the pressure that we we've, we've seen him not perform great in response to pressure that he seems to put on him own, his own self at like the, the, the masters uh, comes to mind most prominently. But is it possible that like the 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 sheer um, will of of the people of Northern Ireland can can will him into a, a success and and he'll be able to to get outside of himself with whatever um, self doubt creates the 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 unfortunate or not unfortunate but like the the slightly disappointing results at the Masters? What do you think about that? Right, I it's interesting. You know, I think your European your. Uh... Ryder Cups and Europoint is, is an interesting corollary. That event is just so unique and just unlike anything else in golf in terms of the team environment, um, you know, the, the, you know, the support you have home, uh, you know, the adversarial, you know, fans you have away. It's just not like anything else in golf. So I'm not sure we can make a direct line from, from the Ryder Cup to what we might think this week. But I will say, you know, we have just so many big passionate moments in, in Rory's young career so far where he's come through and played unbelievable golf. Um, yeah, maybe we could, maybe, that's a good point that maybe, maybe we have seen him in these big moments um, where he's got this kind of, you know, the will behind, behind him. He's the face and the heart of that European Ryder cup team. I know he's, you know, younger than Sergio Stinson, you know, years past Westwood, et cetera. But um yeah, no, I think you might be able to glean a little bit from that, but I, it, it's tough just because the Ryder Cup is such a unique environment. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it is a different animal altogether, and honestly, um, pressure wise, it's kind of a different thing. It's tough. I, I don't think the pressure we could really uh, um, draw any kind of direct line between the pressure he's going to be feeling this week and that that Ryder Cup pressure uh so we'll just wait and see i mean you know nobody's played better than rory this season uh even notwithstanding right. brooks in, in in the majors um nobody's had more uh, uh top 10 finishes and you know his two wins have been great the another uh hallmark win with the the win at, at the players 
Um, let's move over. Having mentioned Brooks, uh, you guys at the 15th Club and, and you specifically, Justin Ray, uh, had a Monday uh, newsletter, 10 Notes to Know, Brooks Kepka heads to, to Royal Portrush, uh, an unknown commodity, and and you know the British Open being the one tournament that we haven't seen dominant Brooks at, um, but a lot of trend line supporting Brooks here. Um, what are your thoughts on, on on brother Kepka? I think that you know if you had to pick what course fits Brooks Kepka's game best right now in golf, you just pick Earth. Everywhere fits Kepka's game. <laughs> That's this right. That's right. Is where it doesn't matter where it is, what style of golf it is. The man since the beginning of 2017 is 35 shots better than anyone else in major championships. He's finished either first or second in four in a row. The last guy to finish either first or second in the first three majors of the season was Tiger in 2005. I mean, it mm. does not happen very often. This kind of consistent. Great play. He's led after major championship round 13 times in the last three years. Like that's more than some Hall of Famers' entire careers. Like it's it's an unbelievable run of what he's done in majors. The way he's able to dial it up. I'll also point to the fact that he's had some success on European link style golf courses. Remember, he came up through the European Tour. He won an event in Scotland on the Challenge Tour before everyone knew his name. Um, you know, his caddy is actually from Northern Ireland, which is a fascinating aspect of this something you'll probably hear 700 times during the broadcast you know yeah well and and not just from from northern ireland but like extensive experience at 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 port rush like has played it you know hundreds of times right and you would think on a on a course where nobody really seemingly knows a whole lot of anything that any kind of information is is going to be somewhat of an advantage not that Brooks needs any more of an advantage in the first place i mean <laughs> you know the, the guy's been you have to pencil him in until further notice as the favorite in any major championship he goes to. Um, as well as, you know, like I like as well as John Rahm's played uh, Rory McIlroy and the obvious storylines there, uh, Dustin Johnson's top of this game. You have to have Kepka, I think head and shoulders as a favorite going in just because of how awesome he's been in these major championships going in. So um, yeah, you know, compared to the other three majors, we haven't seen him have, you know, relatively a ton of success, but you know, he led after the opening round a couple of years ago when Jordan Spieth won and then, you know, made a couple of, he had a rough second round that week. Um, you know, he's, he's had some good finishes in the open championship. And I, I specifically point to the fact that he's had experience all over the world, all types of golf courses, you know, one in, I, I don't have off the top of my head, but it's something like 12, 13 different countries, maybe, you know, over the course of his, his professional career across all the tours. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, how can you not talk about the guy and be excited to see what he does here? He's, you know, rewriting history books, you know, every time he steps onto a onto a tee box in a major. Yeah, and and I'm especially excited to see, you know, the there's been some early uh, speculation that that folks will be leaving driver in the bag. Um, he, he especially, he even even maybe more so than Rory feels like he uses his driver as a fairway finder and with the the benefit of his caddy Ricky Elliott being able to like point to things and say you know hit it here and then Brooks stepping up with driver and like hitting it there I'm just really excited there are like you know a number of drivable par fours potentially even par fours that that you know will extend out over 400 yards you can catch speed slots you can catch certain bounces certain lines 
and and get close to the green. I'm just excited to see what he's capable of at at, at this uh, unknown venue. I'm with you, and I really love the quote Tiger had in the press center. It was either t- uh, Tuesday or Monday, where he said, "Yeah, I texted Kefka and congratulated him on you know another great finish at Pebble Beach, and asked him if we could have a practice round at Royal Portrush." And Kefka didn't respond. He didn't answer him. Yeah, he doesn't want Tiger getting any extra information. You know, this is part of his chief competition. But you imagine Tiger asked to play a practice round with me, just ghost the guy. That's unbelievable. So that gives you a little glimpse of the kind of competitor Kepka is and where he sees himself in the game at this point, as he should. The the biggest balls. You what what, what did you call him? The with the what's the 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 superlative supernova. Right, yeah, because I just, you know, he makes it easy for me because I just keep, keep coming up with crazy notes about what he's achieving <laughs> in majors. So, yeah, yeah. superlative yeah. supernova. Well, I, we have to add to it with the stoniest stones. I mean, what what balls on that guy? <laughs> Incredible balls. Sorry, Tiger. He'll, I, bet, I bet he goes and talks to Tiger afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> look, it's, it's so much fun to have a guy that, you know, got a little edge to him at, at the top of the game. You know, it's, it's, it's a great... He's a great quote in the media center. He kind of, you know, it it can probably, it probably brushes a few media people the wrong way, but I find it entertaining because the guy clearly he's, yeah, he's here to win major championships point blank period end of story. So, you know, that, that tiger, that tiger thing was uh, that I got a huge kick out of that. <laughs> you and me both. Well, there are, I want to make sure we cover a few other guys, but there's another guy at the top of the list, uh, that I just want to get your 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 thoughts on, and you had a note uh, about him in in today's newsletter. I want to talk about Dustin Johnson um, because you know, just sort of on the face of it, this venue looks like a venue that would set up great for Dustin, and he has a a, a great uh, um, you know he's an accomplished links player. But the stat that you have in here is that he's not been been able to close out. Uh, in, in the final round of his British Open run. So what do you think about DJ? Yeah, it's pretty staggering. Since 2010, Dustin is 22 under par in rounds one through three at the Open. He's 20 over in the final round. It's it's an unbelievable split between rounds one and three and, and what he's done on Sunday at the Open. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, he fits the profile of a guy who, if the wind is down, guys who bomb it a long way are going to be able to take full advantage and and you know you could see you know Dustin go out and shoot a really low score but that I mean there's so many players in the field guys like him a guy like Tony Finau Gary Woodland the U.S. Open champion where you know I don't know what to think of their chances this week until I know how windy it's going to be and Ah. I I wish I I wish I had that information because you know I'd probably be a richer man because of it but I mean I just think that you know his ability to take advantage of the driver and you know make a zillion, make a ton of birdies, go low, be aggressive. I think that's such a huge part of his game, and I think that that's the big that's the big question mark for me with with DJ this week is you know if he gets a favorable draw with the wind, with the weather, um, you know I really like him a lot. You know we saw last week at the Scottish Open there was something like I think there might have been like thirty guys at fifteen under or better. It was crazy mm. because there was no there's no defense for that golf course like the wind was non-existent. It looked kind of baked out. And, you know, you guys can hit it 315, 325, whatever it is off the tee. You know, they're going to, they're going to make a ton of birdies on the par fours and par fives. So, um, that's what I'm interested in with DJ. I mean, you know, he, he held a 36 hole lead at open a few years ago. He nearly won at Royal St. George's in 2011. 
He's a guy yeah. like at his peak, like Kepka, his his preferred golf course is just planet Earth. But, you know, <laughs> I don't put him right now in that type of pantheon of where Kepka is at his game in majors. But look, any given week, if DJ's got it turned on, you know, he can he can do whatever he wants with a golf ball and and is a force to be reckoned with. So um interested to see what the win draw is for for DJ and some of those other power players. It's a great point. I, I can't get out of my head. Uh, again, I'm going to refer to the U.S. Open. He was kind of right there in an interesting place uh, as he as he entered the final round at the Open as somebody that it could go out kind of on the early side potentially and and make a little bit of noise. And uh, he he kind of scuffled a little bit and then got to the fourth hole. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was him or it was his, his brother, but uh, he 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 put driver in his hand. And tried to hit driver on four uh, at at Pebble Beach, which you know nobody did uh, with any success all week long. And he promptly launched it right into the into the Monterey Bay, uh, and that was really the end of of his Pebble Beach experience. He ended up shooting three over uh, on 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 Sunday, and he and he was completely out of it. But it was that double bogey, and it's just this this. Uh, persistent at least on the on the outside looking in persistent phenomena of sort of having an opportunity to do something and then decision making kind of getting in the way you know the 16th hole at the PGA championship he was kind of in between clubs he hit the he hit one over the green he chipped and then they misread the putt um there's just a something going on there that I can't you know have full confidence in DJ at the moment that was surprising at Pebble Beach too, considering just the you know he's had a ton of success there throughout his career. It's not like he's you know remotely unfamiliar with the golf course. The last ten years, you know, at that pro am, he's been consistently one of the best players there. He's won it a couple of times. Of course, nearly won the U.S. Open there um, in 2010. Um, you, you know, I think your point about you know getting in, he's in a position to win, and maybe decision making gets in the way. I think that's a testament to how consistently good he is, because we're always seeing him in a position to succeed. You know, yeah. it's, it's really tough to get to that point and to get to that point enough times to where you actually can develop the opinion that, man, he's always right there. It's kind of the way I feel sometimes about how people talk about Jordan Spieth's putting is yes. that they, oh man, Jordan Spieth can't make a six footer for birdie to save his life. But you know what? He's also on TV for every shot he hits, and he's putting a lot of irons to six feet to try to make birdie. So I think, and now that's not the whole truth, obviously, with with speed. I just think that sometimes that can impact his perception, and maybe maybe that's part of what we think of with DJ. We're like, man, this guy snaked it, and he's always whether it's you know whistling straights back in the day at the PGA, or even when he won at Oakmont with the weird rules thing. We're like, this guy's always, you know. Chambers Bay on the last hole. He's always kind of getting in his own way, but the truth is he's playing great enough golf to constantly put himself in a position to contend and maybe win these big championships. So, I mean, but he's already a, he's already a hall of famer. He's, you know, it's, it's amazing. He doesn't have more than one major championship, but um, he gets a, he gets, I'm telling you, he gets an easy win draw. He gets a good break here. Um, first two rounds. He's going to right there again. All right. Well, I, I'll put a little top 10 on him. Uh, and and then just you know, so I have a, a little bit of a DJ covered off there. I don't want to get him to go out and get hot and feel like a dummy sitting on the the sidelines. Uh, so we'll go ahead and do a little top ten. But let let's let's hit some of the the like um, second tier 
names, uh, and I don't I don't mean any disrespect. I'm just going sort of by the way the odds are organized here. Um, for, for let's let's just dispense with the F boys kind of uh, right away. I, here's how I rank Fleetwood, Fowler, and Finau. It's Fleetwood, Fowler, and Finau. <laughs> do, do okay. Is that the way you, you have them ranked as well, or do, or do you like? Is there something about uh, Ricky or or, or uh, Tony that you like here? Well, you know, Tommy's been really great in the U.S. Open of the last few years. Obviously, nearly winning it a couple of times. You know that incredible sixty-three he had at Shinnecock. Um, but as far as the other three major championships, he really hasn't been nearly as good as he has in the U.S. Open. He's three hundred par since twenty seventeen in the U.S. Open, which is you know, anything around par, better than par is a great score there. But he's twelve over par in the other three majors combined. I will say that at the Open last year, he had his best finish, finished tied for twelfth. Seems to be kind of you know getting better in the Open over the last couple of years. Um, he's got a pretty good links record, as you might expect for a guy from you know Southport, England. Um, he's a good links player. Um, I might put him right behind Ricky if I've got to rank oh. three guys. Yeah, oh. Rick, Ricky. Yeah, you know, I, and Ricky's a fun story this week, I think, going in just because, you know, it feels like it would be a great story for golf if he won um, to finally break through. He's such a popular guy, well-liked, and obviously, you know, knocked on the door a zillion times in majors. You know, he hasn't really contended in the Open since he finished second to Rory back at 14. Um, but if he's, he's like the opposite for, for DJ or for Fino for me. If the wind picks up, Ricky Fowler's an awesome bad weather player. If you remember maybe his best shot to win the Open came in 2011 at Royal State Georges, where the last round especially, I just remember it was just a mess. Um, you know, some of his stats, his metrics are a little bit down this season. He's not hitting as many fairways as he has in years past, which bothers me, especially going to this course. Um, the stroke skate approach is down a little bit, but he's a really good links player. He's good in bad weather. Um, he's good at grinding out, grinding out pars. Ricky's thing is always just avoiding the big number. And um, as he's gotten older, he's gotten better at that. Um, but if he can do that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play really well. One thing about Tony C now that you just be cross off the F boys here that might surprise you over the last 10 years, of everybody to play at least 12 rounds in the open, Tony Finau is second in scoring average. The only guy he's trailing is Jordan Spieth in that span. Um, wow. Played well last year, finished, yeah. Played well last year. You don't think that with Tony Finau, especially the You're kind right. of power player he is. It's not, it's not kind of doesn't fit, but it's true. He's second in scoring average over the last 10 years among all players to play at least 12 rounds. Spieth is the only guy he's behind. So, the thing about Fina, he's missed three of his last four cuts on the PGA Tour. He's not playing as well as he was, you know, this time last year. U.S. Open last year when he played well, the Open obviously his game's just not in the same spot. So I'm still I put despite that fact I just told you, just recent form it tends to push me away from him, and I probably rank him third of those three guys. Yeah, I, I like the the one thing I'll I am going to sprinkle something on Ricky. I'm not sure top twenty you won't get good odds for him, but maybe I'll put something on him uh, to top ten. Um, he does have a win on tour this year, so he does fit that that Im- important metric. And he he has played competitive golf in between the uh, you know the U.S. Open and and this one. He, he opened up with that incendiary sixty six at Pebble, and then immediately followed that up with a seventy seven, um, which yeah. was like you know what what that what's going on here, Ricky? Because uh, you know we got so excited after Thursday. But you know, I, I I am one for a storyline. I like what you're selling there. I'll put, sprinkle a little on, on Ricky. And you're right; it's nice to have a bad weather hedge 
uh, out there, and 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 let that's a nice segue. Few other guys that I like that 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 feel like they could all sort of play into that bad weather hedge. One of them is Mark Leishman. How do you how do you like uh, brother brother Leishman? Yeah, Leishman is an interesting pick, and I kind of had him circled as somebody who you know a little bit further down on the list um, is somebody I was interested in. Of course, you know, nearly won the Open a few years ago, was in that playoff at St Andrews with Zach Johnson, Lou season. Um, you know, he, he's another guy. He's kind of like a diet Kepka. You know, where Diet he ratchets, I like it. ratchets his game up in big events. Now, he's obviously not the same kind of power player that Brooks is. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who, you know, he's not a consistent winner year in, year on the PGA Tour. He's won a playoff event. Uh, he won in Texas a few years ago. Um, you know, he's got a handful of wins on the PGA Tour, but he just seems to, to dial his game up in these big championships. Um, his kind of course management style fits well for courses that play difficult um he's got some good links history so yeah if you go a little bit further down the list he's somebody i like there's one guy i like who's further down the list who's a european player who's a veteran who i think is really interesting that's rafa cabrera bayo okay um, three sure. straight top three yeah three straight top tens on the european tour coming in this week um he won the scottish open a couple of years ago and then followed up with a tie for fourth um at the open the following week he also fits that kind of experience paying off mold that I talked about earlier. Um, you know, the average age winner at the Open the last eight years is age 36. It's five years older than the other Open. I think that speaks to, you know, first of all, bombing. It's not a bomb and gouge type situation. We know that. So young guys who hit it a mile, not going to have an advantage per se when you get to an Open championship most of the time. And the experience, the managing your, your situations, knowing when to go for it, knowing where to miss, where to lay back. Um, you know, I think that there's something to be said about experience. I don't know. I, I kind of knew Cabrera Bayo as like a European type version of what Gary Woodland is, you know, going into the U S open. I know we'll look at Woodland completely differently now that he's broke through with the major win, but for years, Cabrera Bayo's guy, tons of top tens, not a lot of wins, kind of like Gary Woodland has yeah. got close in major championships, but isn't particularly consistently contending in them. Um, has some big moments, really physically gifted, just like Woodland is. I don't know. I kind of, when I see him, I was looking through him, I kind of get the same kind of feeling as when I would think about Gary Woodland going into, let's say, three months ago, the way I thought about Gary Woodland. That's kind of how I fear about, feel about Cabrera Bayo. Well, and he, we know he's comfortable at Port Rush with his tied second back in 2012, even though the golf course right. is different now. You know, there's still something, you know, some positive vibes. Uh, to take from that, he, I'm going to play RCB. You know, I have to construct one of my massive eight-way make-the-cut parlays. He's definitely one of the names uh, that I'm going to include. I love the recent uh, form of him. So help me. Let's let's just go ahead and 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 pivot on over. Now, actually, before we do that, we 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 haven't given enough uh, love to Henrik Stenson. I feel like if we're talking uh, Lynx golf. And a guy that's that's in form, and a guy that fits a lot of the the metrics we've been talking about. We got to include uh, a, a quick hit on on Stenson for the purposes of of how people are constructing lineups this week. Do you do you agree with that? He is the first guy I put on my team when I made my drafting lineup. First yeah. guy because of how good he is at Lynx golf, the value you get relative to his recent performance. Um, played really well at the Scottish Open last week. You know, obviously can can win a play in an open championship shot 20 under Royal Troon. I mean, anybody who can do that. Um, he's finally, finally healthy again. Swing looks great. 
great recent form. I talked about how good he is in Lynx golf over the last decade or so. He's among the best in the world. Um, he, no joke, when I made, made my you know six-player six fantasy team, first guy I picked. So um, that's, that's about as strong a testament as I can give, too. I don't know if he's going to win this week, you know, but as far as somebody who is a solid pick who's going to play well, I don't know. How, I don't know how you can avoid Henrik Stefan. Yeah, everybody, build your lineups off of off of Henrik. This is if, if we don't give out locks here on Fairway Rolling, but Henrik at at this uh, <laughs> event is so he's we'll call him as near to a lock as you can get. Now let's get a little speculative, and I I, I want to. I've, as always, you're very indulgent. You give us lots of time here on Fairway Rolling, but I want to hit on a, a couple, two, three names that are not names that the golfing public will will have heard, but that guys that 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 might have uh, a decent performance. If you're rounding out uh, a DFS lineup, or if you're looking to do a top twenty and get get you know a decent return, five to one, six to one kind of odds on a top twenty. What are a couple of names that you have? Circled that are that are not traditional uh, U.S. Uh, PGA Tour household names. There's one kid who's extremely talented. He's very young. He's making his Open debut. It's only his fifth major championship, but he's a guy who you're going to hear a lot about over the next five or six years. There's Joaquin Neiman from Chile. Oh um, yeah, extremely talented young player. Three top tens in his last four starts on the PGA Tour. He nearly won on the nearly won Memorial last year as a teenager. He's not going to be phased by the big stage. Um, I will. It being his first open makes me a little wary. You know, you don't know how he's going to react. I, I'm not sure how much he's played in that part of the world. Period. Let alone in an Open Championship. But sure. he's extremely talented, and he's going to be way down on on guys' boards. And I'll give you another guy who course history and style and you know. The, the past, his past success lends me to look at him as someone who has great value. Zach Johnson has had a terrible season. By his standards, he's <laughs> awful. He's, abs- he's, he's out of the top, I think he's out of the top 100 in the world now. You know, he is. But he has been one of the best players at the Open over the last decade. If I was to ask, who do you think has the most rounds of 67 or better at the Open this decade? The answer is Zach Johnson. And it's by like two or three. Exactly. Like that's kind of the sneaky. I know he won at St Andrews. And kind of, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. And, we, and then he, you know, fell off. He wasn't really, you know, a factor in major championships immediately after that. But he has been really good at the Open. This is a like, it's a course. Look, it's not Colonial John Deere and a few sort of venues where distance isn't a factor in that sense. But Lynx Golf brings brings the field together, and it makes distance not as relevant. Um, a guy who doesn't hit it as far like that. But he's 20 under par in the open the last five years. That's fourth best in that span. I gave you the round of 67 statistic. He's tied for fifth most birdies at the open the last five years. You can get really good value on Zach Johnson. He's not going to forget how to play Lynx golf when he shows up there. Now, he's getting into his mid-40s. Week in, week out on the PTA Tour, he's not really that much of a factor at this point in his career. But I don't know, man. That's, that's a really good value for a guy who's played a lot of great open championship golf. Well, I'll tell you, I I saw him at the beginning of the week available at as a, just a top twenty play at plus six hundred. That's a six to one return on a guy with that impeccable. I tell you what, I'm going to do, Justin. I'm going to go put something down before this podcast goes up 
because we can't have <laughs> once the gambling public gets a hold of Zach Johnson and starts banging at that six to one, it's going to be all the way down to three to one. Let's both make sure we get get them in with our uh, respective uh, makers. Uh, Justin Ray, head of content at the Fifteenth Club. If you're not following him on Twitter, you are doing golf life wrong. And if you're not receiving the Fifteenth Club newsletter every single day of this major week. Then, then, then you're 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 you might as well not even be reading. You might as well not read if you're not getting the 15 Club newsletter. As always, my 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 uh, birdie buddy. Thank you for coming on. We always appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. Love talking to you about golf going into these big championships. Yeah, so let's let's both get out there, make some tickets, and then look for strong return on investment. Absolutely, that's why we're here. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, as always, my big thanks to Justin Ray. We'll have to find an event in the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs to bring him back on. we have to pick one um, that folks are actually paying attention to golf again. Uh, before we get to Chris Vernon, my birdie buddies, this episode of Fairway Rolling brought to you by our friends at Destination Kohler in Kohler, Wisconsin, home of Whistling Straits, Black Wolf Run, and the 2020 Ryder Cup. It's the first public course in a generation to host the Ryder Cup and Golf Digest as all four of these Pete Dye designed Kohler courses ranked in the top 100 of America's public courses. You can play all these courses. Meadow Valleys at Black Wolf Run features one of the most visually stunning holes at Destination Kohler. It's number 14 there at Meadow Valleys. It's called Nature's Course. It's a par four and you get to see Wisconsin nature at its finest, along with a railroad car bridge, a signature of designer Pete Dye. We've seen him with the railroad ties and everything. He's got the uh, a, a nice bridge feature in here. The best in the world are coming to take on the Destination Kohler. You should, too. Get yourself a group of 12 or more birdie buddies and the PGA professionals at Destination Kohler can help arrange a tournament-style experience complete with your own customized Ryder Cup-inspired add-ons. Eagle enthusiasts, rounds for this summer are still available. And 2020 rounds are open as well. Time to get rolling to DestinationKohler.com to book your golf package today. That's DestinationKohler.com. Now on the tee from USA, Chris Vernon. Hey yo! Hey yo! Time for morning golf. Oh my god, it's my favorite. <laughs> I, I I'll be honest, the Pebble Beach thing was great because yes. in Central Time, I'm getting to watch it at night. I am I am for the extremes. I either want the golf early in the morning or I want it in prime time where I can watch it at night, this middle. I'm, and now we're becoming spoiled because this middle of the day stuff, you know, we've, we've caught these two majors in a row now where it doesn't mess up your day. Like you can still have a day and watch the golf tournaments. Um, and so then you get back to the regular old tournaments that are in the middle of the day and take up an entire Sunday afternoon and now I feel, I don't know, we're getting spoiled again. I love this. I love this. 
Well, uh, this is, uh, it's no surprise that we get along so well in life, Verno. But, <laughs> but obviously, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm in uh, not just 100% agreement, I'm in 110% agreement. And, and how about this, Verno? This season, not only did we have the fantastic U.S. Open on the West Coast, giving everybody in the middle of the country and the East Coast primetime viewing opportunities, but we also had the Masters, Sunday of the Masters. Now, this wasn't planned. They didn't want it to, to go this way. They prefer it to be in the afternoon. But we, we knocked that sucker out in the morning. We had a champion by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I had my Masters Sunday all to myself. I mean, I could be a, a, a family hero. I wasn't locked up in the in the den, you know what I mean? That's for sure. And now, as we look towards this one, House, my, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I knew we were going to be doing this pod. I was going to be having to make my DraftKings picks. I was going to be having to put in my bets. And my mind is in an absolute pretzel over this. I have talked myself into a million different things, but I need you to clear the first one up. How much do I care about the Ireland thing, and do I think it's an advantage or a disadvantage? Is it an advantage that somebody knows the course extremely well or somebody, in the case of Rory, is the country's hero? Like they say, you used to be able to just like buy a ticket to this, but this year you can't buy a ticket. Like it's sold out cold, and so this is a different deal. David Faraday's talking about this is the biggest sporting event that's ever happened there, and so... Does the fact that you're going to have to get a million tickets and take care of everybody if you're Rory or in the Brooks case, his caddy, you know, he's he's already quoted as saying he's got to find 50, 60 tickets. Um, his whole family lives around there. So is it is it to your benefit that this is something you know, that this is your home turf, or is it a detriment? And I say that because you remember earlier this year, the Byron Nelson. And I was like, nobody knows this better than Spieth, that Spieth's going to get back on track. Like he sucks at the Byron Nelson. And a lot he of does. times. He, and, every and year a, he sucks at the Byron and, Nelson. And I do think it's part of it. It's like, you know, so the next week after this is going to be the WGC event in Memphis where I live. And I'm going to be heavily involved in that. And like already I'm, I ain't even playing golf. And you're going to be coming in town and I'm making tea times and I'm scheduling this and I'm scheduling that. And people are asking me if I've got tickets and people are asking me about, are you going to go to the event on Wednesday night? Are you going to go to the event on Thursday night? And all this, and it's, it's already hectic for me and I ain't even doing nothing. I ain't playing. Right. So, <laughs> and so I do know how hectic it gets for these guys. And I do wonder like that's once I answer that question and that's what I need your help on. Then I can figure out what I'm going to do. Do we think it is an advantage that you know the course well, that this is in Ireland, this is the home turf? So uh, in the first place, I think um, it's right to distinguish between the the three dudes from Northern Ireland who are going to be competing in this uh, Open Championship uh, Graham McDowell and Darren Clark can both be kind of ambassadors, I think. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see something great out of Graham McDowell because he uh, has the benefit of, you know, lesser expectation, right? He's the, his, his country is not looking to him 
to go out and and win the golf tournament because he doesn't he's not the guy that has two wins this season and leads the tour in top tens and has you know five uh, I mean four top five finishes in the past five years so I think Darren Clark and, and Graham McDowell both are going to be kind of ambassadors Graham McDowell lives in Port Rush grew up in Port Rush Rory grew up an hour away. Darren Clark has been a member of Portrush his entire life. His son works at the pro shop there right now as we speak. So I think those two guys, I wouldn't be surprised. They're going to be playing, uh, you know, loose, loose and foot loose and fancy free. Um, in terms of like the logistics of dealing with the pressure of, you know, what those guys are going to be confronted with. It ain't like this thing snuck on them, snuck up on them, Verno. They've known that the Open Championship is going to be in Northern Ireland for at least uh, half a decade, if not longer. And so, you know, the getting the tickets and and managing like the logistics of family and all that stuff, I honestly think Rory made a point of saying he's not staying at home for this. He's getting put, he's not, he's doing his usual routine in terms of staying somewhere at a hotel or something. He wants it to feel like tournament golf for him and, and being in his own bedroom with his family uh, does not convey that feeling. I believe for sure, 100%, 1,000%, without hesitation or reservation, it is absolutely an advantage for guys that have played this track at some point in their lives to be able to pull up, pull up from their memory banks, from the reserves, the memory reserves, what it's like to walk around this joint. Because okay. the vast majority, vast majority of guys coming to this venue have haven't set foot on it. Uh, some of them, including none other than Elder Tiger Woods, un, until Sunday morning, like the first time Tiger ever ever set foot on the property to take a sw- a swing was Sunday. Now the golf course is different that they're playing and competing on this year than anything that anybody's competed on previously at the professional level. In 2012 at the Irish Open, you have some guys uh, uh, play there. Rory played it. He top tend it. Rafa Cabrera Bayo w- w- was on there, and Jamie Donaldson won it. But they changed the golf course they, uh, between 2012 and 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 now the the uh, the layout that they have. They they took two holes from an adjoining uh, course on the property there and put them on the front nine because they had to build out at, on on the backside that traditional British Open amphitheater and and the. Uh, that the old 17 and 18 would not accommodate, you know, what they need in terms of, of, you know, the proper look of a finishing kind of a conclusion to the, to the, to the Claret jug, uh, effort here. So, uh, in that respect, I think for sure an advantage to guys who have played it Rory shooting 61 here when he was 16 years old. I mean, I, I, I would love to, to be, uh, channeling some of that, uh, muscle memory a little bit, even though it, it's different now. On the other hand, there is no question that the amount of pressure that that is on Rory, and th- and I don't have an answer for you on this point, because I can see it two ways. On the one hand, this is by far the biggest sporting event in the history of Northern Ireland. I'm going to go ahead and, and say it's the biggest event that that, that ever in the history of, of of the country, because you know there's there's more people in the world. It's going to be the most eyes on Northern Ireland in the history of the country. It's a tiny country, 1.9 million folks. The, the, you, you mentioned this. This championship has been sold out for weeks. It's the first time in modern history that the, the British Open has been sold out. Every single ticket is spoken for. So the, the, the entire country is going to be 
rooting for their native son. And, you know, it kind of cuts both ways. On the one hand, we have seen Rory in big moments where the pressure's on and the two two places that that I think, you know, we're trying to draw some some analogies to. On the one hand, you know, in the Ryder Cup, which is its own unique animal, but he's been kind of up to the moment. He likes being on the one hand the villain when he's over here in the US. He 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 does the, you know, let me hear you uh uh, uh gesture and he loves to interface with the crowd. And then when he's in Europe, he's all about, you know, revving up the crowd, a lot of come ons, a lot of legos. Let's go, let's go. And and pumping up the the frenzy. Uh so that's a kind of pressure that he seems to respond pretty well to and he responds to both being a hero and a villain. But on the other hand, when it's the pressure that he feels that it seems like he puts on himself, and I'm referring directly to the Masters, which is the tournament that he's, uh, you know, he needs to complete his career Grand Slam, and he's had within his grasp at least two occasions, and one in very recent memory, he teed off, uh, you know, at, at the 2018 Masters in the final twosome with Patrick Reed, and it was basically a heads-up match. If he could have beat Patrick Reed's ass, he would have won the Masters, and the first thing he did was hit a, hit his tee ball damn near uh, out of bounds. So uh, not, not up to the moment when that pressure is coming from himself, but the way I'm going to prefer to think about it, and this, this dovetails with how I'm going to strategize some of my wagering this week, Verno, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subscribe to the idea that the sheer will of the country every single person rooting for him every single person wanting the very best for every single thing and everybody every single shot is going to be so uh every single good shot is going to be met with such uh uh unanimous support i i think that's going to help rory so if i i'm going to do 51 49 that it's going to be helpful to rory and i'm betting rory to win i'm betting him to top five i'm betting him to top ten Okay, well, here's the other side of this. As if the guy needed any help whatsoever, Brooks Kepka, we know, has this caddy, Ricky Elliott, who is a caddy. He grew up there being a caddy and is a member there. So alongside the guy who, at this point, it's like, if you don't bank on Brooks Kepka, what are we doing? Um, since the beginning of 07, he has, uh, in majors, the best score to par by like almost 40 friggin' strokes. Um, most rounds in the 60s, most birdies and eagles, most rounds where he's led, most rounds in the top 10. Um, look, there's been four majors since Carnoustie. Two players have beaten him. Two. <laughs> That's my favorite stat that I saw of all the Kepka stats. That's my number one favorite. Well, well, look, I didn't mean to leave the impression, Verno. That we're gonna like ignore Brooks Kepka. I'm doing the same thing. I'm betting him to win. I'm betting him to top five, and I'm betting him to top ten. I mean, how? What, what's the what's the scenario under which you leave out either one of those dudes? Just cover your action. This is why. Look, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So if you no, remember, no, I'm just saying theory wise. I'm not yelling at you. I just mean th- you know as a strategy. Because we went with this. Do you remember when we were talking about the U.S. Open? And it was Brooks Kepka plus one and a half against Rory McElroy. And it was like, what is the amount of money we could steal from everyone <laughs> close to us, family members, etc., to put on this? Well, I go and look at the matchup, the tournament matchups. I cannot fathom that you can get even odds on 
Brooks Kepka against Rory McElroy. But you can get even odds on Brooks Kepka versus Rory McElroy right now, which to me is like it's staring me in the face. And so, yes, you're saying, hey, we don't have to choose. We can go with both of them. In fact, House, it's even with Brooks plus one and a half strokes. The odds are, <laughs> are better than they were. I mean, in what world am I that I can get Brooks kept the plus one and a half strokes at even money against Rory McElroy? But now you spent 15 minutes convincing me of friggin' Rory McElroy. So now what? Do I press send or not? You got to press send because uh, look, th- that, those odds are too good. I'm looking at them right now on the money line. Just heads up, Brooks Kepka's plus one twenty five, and I just think the the overwhelming weight of evidence with Brooks Kepka in the majors, you you have to take advantage of getting plus odds when he only has to beat one person. So you absolutely you hit send, getting your one and a half strokes. I'm going to hit send on this money line bet too. Believe me. Hey, when I tell you that my mind is in a pretzel, it's because I look at all those stats. I look at, you know, Gary Woodland and Tiger, the only ones that have beaten the guy in a major uh, in the last four. That being said, you look at all the odd or you look at what's happened in this particular tournament. Now, not at this particular course, but you have established, and I, I would agree with you, that it's probably an advantage for Rory, okay? Okay, it's not even being played in Ireland in these other years. And in the last five, he's got the best score. He's 32 under in the last five opens, and he missed one of them to injury. <laughs> I so yeah, I know. It's, it's like, now, now you see my problem with this, right? Do I, do I fade both of these guys? Do I bank on both of these guys? Do I, who do I think between the two of them? Like, okay, so one of them, it, it, it feels like either way. Uh, and so that's why I'm worried that it might just come to a stay away. Because on one hand, if I bet Kepka, it's like, I feel like that guy that's at the top of the mountain in uh, The Princess Bride, right? That's doing the never uh, never play uh, mind games with a Sicilian, never have a land war in Asia, <laughs> right? And he's switching the yeah, cups. Yeah. I can't choose that cup because, but I'm saying either way, if Rory wins it, it's like, yeah, what the hell was I thinking? The guy's in his friggin' home country. He plays amazing in this tournament. What's wrong with me? If I bet against Kepka, it's like, what's my problem? This guy like wins every friggin' major or he's right there at the end. And so this feels like the big choice to make because I mean, we. Uh, how about this? How about we just take Kepka? I'll feel good about it. He's minus 115 against Dustin Johnson. How about I sure. just slam that and I leave the Rory stuff to the side in case he's amazing? How about I just do that? How about I, uh, we'll just fade DJ and watch that son of a bitch go 50 under. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had uh, uh, Justin Ray on. Uh, earlier uh, on on this show, and I also went on Cousin Sal's Against All Odds, and I can't remember which one of the shows I said that DJ is the guy that I'm going to fade uh, in this one, which means that DJ becomes the lock of the century. I mean, just right now, somebody out there, just take fifty bucks and put it on DJ because he's 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 going to go nuts. Now, the problem with DJ is he's great in the first three rounds and terrible in the last round. 
Uh, speaking of Justin Ray, he in in the fifteenth uh, club newsletter that came out yesterday, Tuesday the sixteenth, he had a nugget about DJ. DJ is twenty uh, two under through the first three rounds and twenty over uh, in the final round of the British Open since two thousand ten. So who who knows? What, he, he, maybe he just gets sick of of, uh, of Guinness. I have no idea what the hell to explain uh, that poor that poor Sunday performance out of DJ but I you know speaking of matchups and and things to bang and 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 let's just go ahead and jump into it we're going to do this week in Tiger Woods Tiger 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 Woods <laughs> right now because I haven't seen or heard one thing that makes me feel good about Tiger Woods uh okay. this week Berno you, you 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 talked about Justin Ray I read one of his previews earlier in the week and he had a stat in there that it was like friggin', and he may have mentioned this on the show, obviously I haven't got to hear it yet, that like the only guy that has won the British who hadn't played between the U.S. Open and the British is like Johnny Miller in the 70s, and I was like, Jesus. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) exactly. Like, I mean, so how do I know? How do I have any idea? That's obviously, there's a historical reference point for this. Um, But we also know that Tiger has played extremely well this year. He has not played a ton of tournaments, but in in the aggregate, he has played extremely well. And it's just a year ago, we're in this very tournament, and it looked, and that was like one of the glimpses like, hey, now, this may... This may turn around. Obviously, we got that, and then we got the Bell Reeve, and then we got the very end of the year. But he had the lead. He had the lead in the British Open, and we're thinking to ourselves, like, "Hey, now, like, we're we might be back on the back on the right track with this Tiger thing." And so we know he has played well in this particular tournament last time out. But there is just no way to know what kind of form he is in. We didn't even get to see him hit shots in the U.S. Open at Pebble because um, we were watching all of the leaders, but he played great, you know, that last day um, and made a little charge, saved himself after starting slow. You're absolutely right. On the back nine especially, I think he had at least uh, three birdies, maybe four birdies. Yeah. Well, here's the problem I have with with Tiger. The, the lasting uh, sort of image... Uh, that I have in in my head is what happened at the PGA Championship. Now, now, radically different circumstances uh, in terms of you know he's had more time to to you know sort of recover post U.S. Open and the lead up to this British Open. But uh, I, I his preparation felt rushed for the PGA Championship, and then he ended up getting sick and missing one of the days of practice that he needed. Uh, but I just, th- this idea of him showing up on Sunday at a venue like this, now I'm sure he's taken advantage of of all of the local uh, knowledge and all of the the sort of, uh, you know, anybody he, that he can bring in. I mean, the story of him trying to get Brooks to play around with him, which I think would have had the effect of also Brooks's caddy, uh, would have been out there and, and Tiger would have, and Brooks just flat out, you know, ghosting him. Boy, that is some high level shit out of, out of Brooks Kepka. But, you know, Tiger's looking for opportunities to try and learn about this, this, uh, this venue. And I'm sure he's been talking to a lot of people 
since Sunday, but it does, you know, it doesn't feel like enough time. Like if he was really serious, he would have done something like Henrik Stenson, who who didn't play in one of his traditional tournaments. He didn't go to Germany and play at the BMW, which is a you know kind of a mid June thing or or later in June after the U.S. Open. That Stenson has that in his schedule. He skipped it this year, and what he did instead was go to Portrush and play you know three or four days of Portrush. Because he wanted to get acclimated. He wanted to see what it was like. He wanted that turf under his feet. Tiger shows up on Sunday and then has a press conference yesterday, Tuesday, midday, saying, well, I'm not quite there yet. I need to. I want, I need one more good day on the range. Like, bro, this is a major. This is the last major of the season. I don't want to hear about one more good range day. I don't want to hear about I'm not quite there yet. So, Berno, I'm just going to confess to you, I'm looking at these matchups Brooks Kepka is minus 145 heads up against Tiger. What, what, tell me the scenario under which Tiger beats Brooks Kepka Brooks, Brooks Kepka at this event. He hits 14 of 18 fairways. That's well, the Brooks might do the same thing. I, I understand, but I mean the, the, the because if if Tiger gets on one of these streaks where his driver is is not failing him and he can stay in the fairway. He gives himself a chance because the iron plays good. And then you feel like he is the kind of creative guy that, you know, they always say in these particular types of tournaments uh, with the Lynx courses that, you know, you putt until you cannot putt and, and then you have to chip. And I feel like he's got that kind of creativity where he could pull that off. And so it's, it's honestly, it's a matter. Is he, when he hits the ball off the tee, is he in the shit or not? And at Beth page, he was in the shit the whole time that he just, well, couldn't it, stay out, he couldn't stay out of it. And when he's not, when he's putting the ball in the fairway and now he can play these irons into the green, he gives himself a chance. The other thing is I like him out of bunkers, you know? Uh, so I don't think that that, like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like him going into the bunker is nearly as punitive as some other guys. Um, hell, half the time I feel like he's going to make it out of the damn bunker. So, <laughs> well, you're not you're not going to get me to say anything bad about Tiger with the creativity point. You're, it's a, it's an excellent observation. I just think that's the thing. If the if the guy's in the fairway, if he's got playable second shots, he's going to be there. House. End of story. I, I I see no scenario where Tiger Woods has an extremely accurate week uh weekend slash week off the tee and plays badly. I just okay. I, I, I refuse to believe it. So that means he's leaving driver in the bag. Maybe maybe even Joey Lacava's gonna break the driver uh, overnight tonight <laughs> and tomorrow and be like, oh sorry buddy, here's the two iron. He has the two iron in the bag, which suggests a lot of stingers. We've seen him with that two iron in in previous open championships definitely uh, at st andrews i can think of it and and the stinger is is a, a a beautiful shot uh i'm i'm just concerned overall about the sort of he was waking up at one in the morning at home and then he shot a yeah. video nike put it out like he's getting ready it's like dude if you're getting ready you'd be in ireland right now you'd be waking up it would be <laughs> one in the morning on the east coast in the u.s but you would be waking up and showing us you you being in a in a, a little b and b out there in, in County Antrick or whatever it's called. Um, the, the other thing that I'm, I'm concerned about is going to be, it's cool. Uh, you know, there'll, there'll be, the forecast looks like they might be bumping into the 60s, but those that's going to be later in the day. Like when he's teeing off in the morning, uh, um, I think it's tomorrow. It's pretty early. He's got an early tea time. 
the the it's going to be in the in in the fifties at best, which is right. very similar to the weather conditions at Bethpage. So I, I'm just hitting the caution brakes a little bit. I'm with you in All terms right. of how about this? How about we just mess with Tiger on the weekend? If we get to fr- if we if we like the way he looks tomorrow, if he looks to be in the form, if he's hitting fairways, then we mess with Tiger going into the weekend. We can mess with him on uh, the plus numbers. We can mess with him with the matchups uh, round by round, but. We need to see it first. I'm fine with wait and see. I, we just don't even mess yeah. with Tiger until then. We're going to do show me Tiger. I like That's fine. it. Okay. Well, okay. look, look, Verno, speaking of show me, we, we, we're at the moment. This is the, the time for the Callaway Epic Flash pick of, of the week. It is uh, Wednesday, midday. We're trying to give out winners. We want folks in there with their DFS lineups, their fantasy, their one-and-dones, and their betting cards to try and do something heroic we're trying to give out something heroic uh to to everybody the same way the epic flash driver by callaway has been heroic all season long continues to be the most played driver with the most uh driver wins of any brand most worldwide tour wins of any driver brand in 2019 the callaway epic flash deploys innovative flash face technology Created by using artificial intelligence and machine learning to promote faster ball speeds. All right, Verno, we batted around a little bit. Is there? We we we. I understand we need a strategy for dealing with Rory and Brooks. So I don't expect either one of those guys to be your pick. And I think we're gonna. We just said we're gonna wait and see with Tiger. Is there a guy out there you you've you've got your eye on for for your pick? Uh- Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to let you talk me out of any of these. All right, number one, uh, DJ's only finished better than 49th like once in the last four years. So we're slamming Kepka over DJ. That's done. Love That's that. done. Love it. Kepka over DJ, minus 115 as the matchup for the tournament, is done. Um, the other ones are, and I, I will tell you that I am in one of those uh, – DraftKings leagues. I'm in four majors. I'm in. I'm in every damn tournament you can have. But for the purposes of DraftKings, you know that these guys cost a, a, an inordinate amount of money to mess with all of the highly priced guys, the Rorys and yeah. the and the. So, and I've gotten burned big time going with them, and then trying to figure out, and then I'm just praying for my small money guys to make cuts. So I went with the different strategy this week, and I'm gonna give you the opportunity if you want to talk me out of one of these guys, you can. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these six, and then I I looked up all their numbers, and they're they fluctuate between plus two thousand on the money line to plus fifty five hundred. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, and and I just di- I I did this um with my heart. I just went through one time, picked them, picked them, kind of kept an eye on how much money I had left, and this was my first draft, and I did it early in the week, and I have not changed it yet. I was waiting to do the pod. All right, I've got Xander Schauffele. He has now, over the course of the past five out of five out of the last ten, he's been sixth or better. He was a runner-up Masters. He's third at U.S. Open. The guy is—he's a major player, and I trust him. Yeah. So, and 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 you know, he's also proved to us that he can play at a variety of different types of venues and have success because he was great at pebble beach and he was great at carnoustie last year uh kind of different kind of setups 
All right, these are the guys I'm rocking with. Xander, Henrik Stenson, uh, Louis Uthusen, same way. Great major player. I kind of trust him. Uh, Gary Woodland, for whatever reason, like, I mean, he played unbelievable at that U.S. Open, and he was the guy that had all the pressure, and he held off Brooks, and I'm a believer. And I think his his number's pretty high, considering a guy that the last time out was, uh, played like an absolute boss. Uh, Woodland, and then the two longer ones are, I've read so much this week and listened to so much this week that I have been convinced, and I will blame the golf intelligentsia if they're wrong about this, but Rafa Cabela-Bello um, was on everybody's lists as someone they liked this week, and then Leishman, who hits the ball low, and I think can, you know, if, if the wind gets up, the element, you know that Mark Leishman, he's in a safe spot because his ball's not going to be flying everywhere. So, are there any any of those you want to talk me out of? Xander, Stenson, Woodland, Bello, Uthusen, Leishman. The only one that I have any concern with whatsoever, and he has a very good record at the Open Championship. I believe he's made the cut every single time, so this counsels against my my concern. The only guy I'm concerned about on your list is, is Gary Woodland because his okay. missed cut uh, after the U.S. Open was such a, a poor showing, you know, at, at a venue that was supposed to be a, a, a birdie fest venue, and he couldn't keep up with the boys, and he was out of sorts the, the entire time. Now, again, I, I he's made the cut every single time. We're back at the next major, but I, I'm concerned there had been a trend where the guy that won the U.S. Open the next time that he played um, finished, you know, inside the top 20, uh, on some some incredible number of times, like you know six out of eight or something, or five out of six, and and he went out and just flat out put out a stinker and, and missed the cut. I'm my concern would be that you know whatever the after effects of the U.S. Open uh, are on him, that that he's not all the way sort of those out. Now we he does have the benefit of having. You know, the, the the time between the U.S. Open and the Open Championship is the traditional amount of time, uh, you know, even with the condensed schedule. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to do a quick thing. I, I'm fading Justin Rose again. I mean, I know he uh, had a nice runner-up finish. It was his best finish last year at Carnoustie, a, a tied for second. And it was his best oh, finish since uh, dude, as a teenager. Don't, but what – help me understand why that don't. dude – would go out to a press conference yesterday and say, "I don't like the schedule. I don't. I don't like the amount of preparation yeah, that it, that it affords us." Hey, buddy. Hey, Justin Rose. Let me remind you of this little fact, buddy. The Masters was the first major of the year. It happened at the exact same time on the calendar as it occurs every year since 1934, and you sucked. You had every opportunity to prepare yourself. The way you're accustomed to with all the time that you won, and you went out there and missed the cut, bro. So I don't want to hear right. anything about the schedule or any of this stuff about, you know, I don't like it doesn't afford enough time for preparation. You had all the time in the world to prepare for the Masters, and you stunk it up, homie. Let me tell you something. All right, House. So don't bring his name up around me. Uh, not, <laughs> not, in, not, not involved with this tournament. I, I told you I'm in one of those – it's a, it was one of the big money ones, like the four majors or whatever it is, right? So 
the guy that I've got to worry about in that, the guy that I've got to beat last year, he's got Rose. We're on Friday. I'm like, this guy is effed. He made that cut on like the last hole and then got friggin' second in the tournament. I I almost jumped off my house. I I was talking about the open championship last year. This this is last year. Go look. He, he made the cut by a stroke. He's missing the cut all the way to the end of Friday. He barely makes it. He barely makes it. And then Saturday goes out and shoots a 64 and then goes bananas again on Sunday. Next thing I know, he's got second place in the tournament. And obviously the payout, first, second, whatever. He ends up going from not playing on the weekend to getting second in the freaking tournament. And, of course, I lost everything. And I was like, we, I, I, well, I hate I hate him. I hate just him. Like, <laughs> just like DJ. Just like our 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 uh, you know instinct to fade DJ. Here we are fading Rose, and I bet DJ and Rose both have great tournaments. I mean, that, okay, that's so, just how. It, all right, how so here, if I th- those are the guys I'm I'm messing with. I'll have a little bit on all those. I'll slam Kepko over DJ, but the one that I told you this right after the U.S. Open, I told you that the PGA Championship I had, I believe it was like 16th or 17th or better, was Xander Shoffley. He missed that by one place. If somebody could go back and look it up. I can't remember what place it was. Whatever place he got, I had the place right above it and lost. And so I said, I'm done with him. Because he bogeyed every hole down the stretch. Every hole. Yeah. And then he and blew it for me. And I said, I'm done with them. I'm done with you, Xander. And then he I told you it was like a it's like an ex-girlfriend that you have a, a is a terrible breakup, but then she kind of starts winning you back. You have an unbelievable night, and that was the U.S. Open because I, I, he wrote me back in, and I rolled with him again, and it paid off in an extraordinary way when he got third. And so I'm I mean, back with, I'm back with him. I'm back with Xander. Bro. I'm trying to make it work, and so that's who I'm rocking with, Xander Schaff. I like it. You're not going to get any any argument uh, out of me with with Xander. I, I'm I'm with you. The, the, the ex girlfriend she was looking good on Sunday at the U.S. Open. <laughs> Boy, does she look good! Uh, that's a that's a tough one to stay away from. Uh, so I, I I I like that a lot. I have one play that I'm going to give out. Uh, this is going to be and I and I hate to do it. Uh, it, it it works against you know uh, everything I like in terms of uh, uh, as a fan. But there's just no scenario under which there's only one tournament matchup featuring this guy because I'd play it er- every way uh, I could otherwise. Phil Mickelson, uh, he, he's only featured in a single tournament matchup because he's at, at 100 to 1 to win this thing. And he uh, is, is out all week long here at this tournament talking about this diet he went on, this crash diet. He does look – now, I, I – was was skeptical. I continue to be skeptical about uh, all of it, but he's he's he, what looked like to be a tongue in cheek where he shot one of these videos and said, "I've I'm trying to do a hard reset and I'm trying to clean up some things." He has, I will say, in the in the footage I saw last night, looked a little bit thinner. He he does not look well, is what I'm going to say, Verno. There's only one matchup. It's Brant Snedeker at minus one forty up against Phil Mickelson. I don't. I mean. Phil Mickelson's missed the cut in like six of his last eight events. I think his best finish, his best uh, finish was tied for 52nd at the U.S. Open. So uh, I don't like one thing that I've heard him say. I don't like the way he looks. He seems like he's there out of a sense of obligation and duty 
uh, and wanting to participate, but he has no uh, aspiration, no ambition to to uh, try and win the thing. And if Phil, I think we know this about him. If he's of a frame of mind to to not win, then then I think he's going home Friday night. Uh, so that's that's going to be my epic flash pick of the week. Brant Snedeker minus one forty heads up against Phil Mickelson. I don't like one thing I've seen or heard out of Phil. All right, and the last thing we have to put something on Kepka plus nine hundred. Like it, if we have any dignity, if we have any dignity, like I I feel like he should be even odds at this point. <laughs> Like, like you plus mean to, to win the tournament? Yeah, there's at least something we got to put on Kepka plus nine hundred. It's just it feels uh, like you get you're getting nine to one on a guy who friggin' wins everything. <laughs> He's either getting first or second. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have him at, at at eleven. I think I got him all the way up to eleven here. Yeah, Perfect. I'm gonna bet. I'm betting. I'm gonna bet both him and Rory, and I'm gonna bet all him right. the top five and top ten too. I mean, you know, I just want to have that that all covered. All right, Verno. You mentioned it. Uh, we're going to be together for the recap of this Open Championship. We're actually going to watch Sunday together uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm humbled and honored to be uh, coming down there for my first ever trip to Memphis. And, and then we're going to be together for a few days to cover the beginning of the week, uh, the, the uh, WGC event. I think it's called the, the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. Is that what it's called now? It is. It is. A top 50 players in the world. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I cannot wait for you to get here. So we'll, we'll have uh, the Claret Jug will be raised, and then you and I will go out and stick a, a peg in the ground and try and do our own version of, of some kind of golf out there. Of course. My man. I'll see you, I uh, guess, uh I guess we'll be together Saturday or Sunday for that British Open. That'd be great. You got it. Thanks, Verno. Thanks, Al. All right, my par saving pals. There you have it. Hope everybody has great return on investment from all these uh, angles, these considerations, these observations we shared with you. As Verno and I just mentioned, we are going to be together in Memphis, Tennessee, where you're going to sit down and recap this Open Championship. As soon as it finishes, uh, Sunday afternoon, we'll have the show up for your own consideration, hopefully your enjoyment as you pat your wallet, pat your pocketbook, and feel it growing larger. Until then, my friends, hit us straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.